Hello, film lovers, and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast. The Films I Love Most podcast is recorded live with live messaging. So sometimes people do message in with very inappropriate comments. We can't help that. It's just the general public. So if you hear something that is offensive or rude, we try our best to put a stop to it, but it might just sneak through. So I do apologize for that. But anyway, let's move on. Enjoy this episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Shani! Are you alive? Are you there? Hang on. Oh. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Amazing. Okay, hold on one sec. Let me just happy get New Year. the best spot. Yes, Happy New Year to you too. I'm so excited to talk about this because we both love it so much. And I'm so I sorry do. I had to... I had to push, um, I just had so much crazy shit happen to me in the very beginning of the year. I've just been all over the map. <laughs> Never, ever need to apologize to me. Well, how's I'm it just... going? How's your I'm new cool. year going? Um, I mean, yeah, it's going okay. It's happening. Um, we're in <laughs> lockdown again in the UK, so not I much think. is happening. Exactly. We're in national lockdown again, so we're not allowed to do anything. Mm. I so, guess except but... watch scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's my scary laugh. I practice I love it. Often. I love it. <laughs> Great. Well, this is actually a continuation of another show that we did before. This um, is true. Because we got so into it that we didn't even scratch the surface of, <laughs> so um, true. of the subject. We were going to talk about 90s slasher movies, and we only only ended up talking about the Scream franchise. Well, I mean, as we know, it just deserves so much space. So we really had to do it justice there. And oh my God. any opportunity Absolutely. to keep talking with you, I'm going to take. <laughs> oh, I love you so much, and I've missed you. And I'm so glad that today worked out. And I know that we've got more chats uh, scheduled under the guise of... Um, our show, which I have named the Re- a real horror show. Oh, which I love. I did want to give you a compliment on how creative that title is, because I totally agree. A real horror show is all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real horror show, darlings. This is not a fake. <laughs> this is the real nope. deal. Is it, it isn't where you come for your cheap horror. It's where you come for the good stuff. Absolutely. Now, as you know, I am a huge fan of your talks with uh, Bob Alex, or Bob Alex, as people keep calling him, which I think is hilarious, because he sounds <laughs> like too. a Mandalorian character. But, <laughs> he um... does, he really does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I um, am a big fan of any movie chats. Do you know what? 
there's not many people doing proper deep movie analysis on stereo, which is why I'm so grateful for you because you're one of the few people doing it. So I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you for doing that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, thank you for sharing this passion with me and just, you know, giving me space to talk about this stuff because I'm obsessed with movies and all I am ever doing is talking about them in real life. So to give me a place (laughs) where someone else, you know, shares my passion just makes me so happy. So I'm very grateful for you, too. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And um, also... You know, we're from two very different worlds. We've, we're from an ocean apart, and yet we share this this commonality, this love for this genre, um, which to me just proves that it's universal. What do you think it is about the horror genre that makes it so universal? I, I agree. You know, I think what makes it so universal is the ability for it to tell very base level human stories, right? Like there is a lot of stuff on top. Sorry, there is a plane going by. It is so loud today. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where are they going? They should be in yeah, what? Exactly. I'm nervous <laughs> about it. Um, but I, <clears throat> I feel like, you know, the human stories are the universal part because, you know, we can all relate to feeling like we're in a life-threatening situation even if we've never been in one, you know, like we all have anxiety and a parasympathetic nervous system that turns on. So to sort of share that feeling, you know, with everyone and that be something that doesn't really differentiate us, but unifies us is why I love horror in general. And why I think it is this thing that you and I can share being from two different worlds. I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, fear is universal. The fear for the same things. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like race mm-hmm. memories, isn't it? It's almost like we're born scared of the dark. Absolutely. You know I mean? Yeah. I, I think about that all the time because I am always just, I love people and I'm so curious about people and, you know, like what, why we do the things we do. And I, I think, you know, that fear is so universal because as an animal, you know, we have, we have to evolve and survive and the dark is a thing that could hurt us. So on a very basic yeah. level, <laughs> you know, we, we have to be afraid of the dark for our species. <laughs> I'm thinking about what it's going to be like maybe in 30 years though, time though. Are people going to um, be born scared of losing their iPhone? And that's Ooh. what we're going to have moved about. <laughs> I I agree with you. I feel like because of, you know, the state of culture and sort of how it's really been derailed, I I am curious, you know, what <clears throat> what are the new things that humanity is scared of that the horror genre is going to try to speak to because it does feel pretty superficial in some areas and that is kind of a bummer because what what is the underlying theme that horror is going to get to uh, I guess shine light on other than iPhones? You know, <laughs> yeah. can you imagine a a, a, um, a monster that goes around stealing your technology? That's going to be the scariest thing in 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen the horror movie Pulse with Kristen Bell? I want to yes. say it's like early 2000s. I feel like yeah. that is exactly kind of what we're talking about. You know, some kinds of swings yeah. and misses that get taken <laughs> at technology being the horror. And yeah, I, God, Pulse, <laughs> it's so bad. I, it's so bad. Yeah, bad. is that Pulse is a is that a remake? Is it? Of, yes, um, it was. 
Yeah, yeah, it was a Japanese horror film. And it was at the time when America was going ham on remaking as many Japanese horror films as they could get. And so this was another on the list and just oof, a real swing and a miss because I guess, you know, we're afraid of losing we're our afraid. phones, but we're not really afraid of ghosts in our computers. <laughs> no, that's it. I think in the future, we're going to be more scared of a killer that comes and cuts off our Wi-Fi. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, um, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, like, continuing on from our uh, the first part of this series, um, I'm really excited because we're going into a territory now um, that I can only picture one thing in my mind when I think about these movies, and that is me being inside Blockbuster Video. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big piece. Off the shelf. <laughs> that's a big mm. piece of of just horror in general also, because there's so much of it made that doesn't always get the big release. You know, there are many small films that I've enjoyed just selecting off the shelf, reading the back of the DVD box and being like, whatever this is, I'm going to try it. (laughs) (laughs) Or did you find yourself going in, having a look around, spending hours and hours looking for a film and then just going away with something that you rented last week (laughs) and the week before and before? (laughs) all the time all the time I miss being able to sort of get lost and just explore what's available to me and then allow myself to to be in the mood for something instead of just sort of you know being at the whim of whatever came out you know on Netflix or whatever that is my only choice (laughs) because it's not the same as looking through the video store getting lost in all of the lists of things no, that's right. And I feel a lot of pressure, actually, with streaming services to watch everything when it comes out, like straight away, because otherwise I feel like I'm not going to be able to be part of the conversation. Whereas I never mm-hmm. felt that when I used to rent movies from like Blockbuster. I never felt like there was any urgency. Well, there wasn't the same kind of like level of social commodity with watching things. It was really more about actually sharing with someone a a movie that got you going that they can now go and learn about as opposed to being very prepared to have a reaction that everyone is watching and making sure that your reaction is something worth talking about yeah no instead of just being like i found the best movie you have to see it yeah oh yeah absolutely and also i think that a lot of people now watch stuff and they sit through it and they're not necessarily uh, personally enjoy- enjoying it, but they're they're forcing themselves. Like, I love this. I love this because everybody else is, you know, it's yeah. sort of like, like big. I think this new Bridget, Bridgerton or Bridget. Yeah, Bridgerton or something. This new thing on Netflix, you know, like I've watched the first episode. It's rubbish, but I don't understand <laughs> how everybody else is loving it. I don't understand <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing because I, I'm really dreading actually watching it because I just have a feeling that I'm just not going to like it. And because yeah. I just feel like it is, it feels like a real grab at just viewership. Like it, like they phoned yeah. it in knowing people really love period pieces right now and are really enjoying quality stuff like The Crown. So let's like throw something in that's a little bit lower quality, but we'll get the same amount of viewership. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. 
it's just like, oh, we can catch a certain part of the market. Then they're, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. But at least we've got something that people are going to watch. And people are in lockdown. So what else are they going to do? Well, and that's the double-edged sword, is that people love yeah. to rip something apart as much as they love to support it. So, yeah. you know, that's the pressure I feel on the streaming services is that I have to have extreme reactions. There's not even any space to be critical and talk about kind of what things make me think about because I have to hurry up and see the next release. <laughs> you know, I better like no, it or hate true. it. And then I got to move on yeah. and watch whatever came out next or, or, you know, just like you're saying, I'm behind the curve and I'm going to be missed. That's it. It's almost like no one's going to talk to me. I'm going to be a social outcast because I haven't seen Cobra Kai. <laughs> you're like, no, exactly. stick your ground. Do not watch it. Do not watch it. You are, you are unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're allowed to pick what matters to you and you don't have to conform. <laughs> no. I'm watching Cobra Kai tonight. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, um, Shani B, I've got something to tell you. What? I know what you did last summer. Oh no! Which part? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! The, One of the, the part where you ran over a deranged fisherman with a hook for a hand, and Jennifer Love Hewitt managed to do some stuff that wasn't, you know, whispering to ghosts or whatever she does these days. I can't remember, but um, yeah. So I think. Talking about I Know What You Did Last Summer is sort of very a natural stepping stone from our Scream discussion. Because I felt like that without Scream, we wouldn't have I Know What You Did Last Summer. I totally agree. I totally agree. Like, I'm so grateful for the explosion of Kevin Williamson and slasher stuff that happened because of Scream. Because I just appreciate that there was that consistency, right? Like, even though they were going to be different stories, they were in the same universe in a way because they had this universal voice that was shepherding them. And I mm-hmm. just love the back-to-back scream. I know he did last summer because it's just, they're just so good. They're both so enjoyable and still kind of give me the jump scares I want and the investment I want. You know, like I love the characters and I know he did last summer as much as I love the characters in scream. Yeah. So if any of you are listening have not seen I Know What You Did Last Summer, it's basically about four friends. Um, they're bound together by a tragic accident and then reunited when they find themselves stalked by a hook-wielding maniac in their small seaside town. How dramatic. Oh. And we've got <laughs> so it. We've got Sarah Michelle Geller, We've got Ryan Felipe. We've got Freddie Prince Jr. Um, we've got Anne like Yes. We've got some big hitters in this movie. So um, when did you first see it and what was your first reactions? I snuck into the movie theater to see it. And I just remember being so jazzed because while I respected all of the people in Scream, they weren't my favorites at the time. But man, at the time, Jennifer Love Hewitt was huge. Sarah Michelle Gellar was like the tops. And it was just Mm -hmm. such an enjoyable experience, like kind of feeling like, you know, as a teenager or I guess even as a preteen being like, oh, I'm going to watch my friends, you know, like really feeling like my my group going (laughs) and watching them. And I just remember being like, that one, 
like while Scream is a story that could happen to you, I know what you did last summer feels more like a story that that does happen all the time, right? Like not every day is your mother being murdered because of an affair, but like every day kids are getting drunk and driving and sometimes running people over. Like that shit is happening on the regular and to just be like, shit, you could just, you don't even have to be driving. You could just be in the car and this shit could happen to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can remember that opening shot, sort of like the uh, the over the sea shot, you know, like the helicopter shot and then coming upon the town and then mm-hmm. getting introduced like the the, um, the kids at like the, uh, the beauty pageant. It's a beauty pageant, isn't it? But they're introduced first. Yes, uh, I'm so incredibly yeah. cheesy but also kind of capturing exactly what those small towns are really preoccupied with which is kind of only themselves and only the small town stuff that they enjoy you know not really offering much to our teen characters you know which is why they're available to be out there kind of doing whatever they want absolutely and then the kids hit this guy you know, the characteriza- characterizations of the characters, I think, are really good at, up to this point. We pretty much know where everyone fits in. Do you know what I mean? We've mm-hmm. got Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's quite awkward. You know, she's more of the, you know, the innocent of the group. We've got Freddie Prince Jr., who's that guy, you know, in everyone who's like, hey, I'm really fit. I'm really good looking. But at the same time, I'm also a really nice person. And then... Yeah, I'm also really <laughs> sweet and kind of trying to figure myself out and wanting to be good. Like... I see him as sort of Sarah Michelle Gellar's equal in terms of that innocence, you know, being able to, or wanting to, to make the right choices, wanting to do whatever he can to have a future. And it feels like the other two, they want that, but they're very much more wrapped up in like what it means for them having done this thing. Do you know what I mean? Sure. No, totally. Yeah, no, I totally get you. And then you get uh, Ryan Felipe's character, who's just a little bit of a dick, which there, you know, he's just... An absolute dick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What over his career we'll come to know is, like, probably the best kind of character he plays is when he's sort of being that selfish dick who is kind of more like, how will this thing ruin my life? As opposed to, holy smokes, what have I done? Who am I for doing this? You know? Sure, sure. Now, I don't. I personally don't think the story is as strong as Scream. I think there are there are quite a few not plot holes, but I think you have to stretch your imagination slightly more with "I Know What mm-hmm. You Did Last Summer" in in the aspect of. And trust me, I just want to say I love this movie. This is one of my childhood films. I watched it probably every day for about two weeks. I, I oh, can't all get summer long. I've watched, yeah. I've watched it again recently and it still holds up for me. But the only thing Absolutely. is that I, I always think, A, why, the, why did he wait a year? Like a whole year? Could I, surely, <laughs> you know, if he was recovered after six months, wouldn't that, you know, revenge is, is swift, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting how obsessed with anniversaries this killer is because he also yeah. waited until the anniversary of his death to, you know, enact his initial revenge. Which, yeah. man, does take a lot of discipline. So we have to give him that. He's probably sitting there going, no, no, two more months, two more months. Don't. Jeff, stop. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know um, you want to do it, but you've got to be patient here. Yeah. Oh, no, he's Ben, isn't he? He's Ben, Benjamin. Because we'll talk about the sequel in a minute, but there's a hilarious moment in the sequel where you're just like, slap yes. your head. You're like, oh, come on. 
Um, yes. <laughs> you know exactly the moment I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, I do. I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like the strange, I, I guess the strange relation to anniversary has always been pretty interesting to me too, because I agree, like, I'm not sure why it was so important to sort of <clears throat> link all of the violence and trauma together in that way. But I guess, I, I guess, yeah, that's just a piece that perhaps in the book, it, it's easier for people to access. Um, have you read the book? Do you know what? I haven't. Have you? I started it when I was a teenager. And honestly, I was like, I like the movies. So I'm just not going to finish this book. <laughs> that's fair yeah that's I really fair. found it in there so I'm I'm not sure but I, I guess I am curious about like I should read the book because I love the film so much now and as an adult it's like I can get it together and read this book to figure this out but I am curious yeah. you know like is there something that the movie wasn't able to capture that can explain some of these things yeah absolutely I'd love to see the book de- like go more into what Ben was doing in that in like that time, that intermediate time of when he from the accident to when he like came back to stalk the kids again. Like, I want to know what what was he up to? How yeah. did he recover? Go to hospital? Did he go to a friend's? Did he like like you know bandage himself up? How, what happened to him? Yeah, yeah. He reminds that me a lot sense. of <clears throat> the Cape Fear killer, like De Niro and Cape Fear and Mitchell yeah. in the original sort of like these deranged guys that really like the idea of scaring you and sort of torturing you before they do this thing. But, you know, in his case, because he's not really talking, he's not really able to give us that strong of a character. He just has to do it in action. And so maybe that's yeah. what they're going for. Like he's the same kind of determined revenge artist as some of these other historical guys, but he just doesn't get as much screen time to have that character. He's got to show it all in his, action and violence sure and i think that what i know what you did last summer does really well is it does create um strong enough characters for you to actually care about them like you did in scream do you know what i mean you care about the people in scream but i feel like because it's such a smaller cast in i know what you did mm-hmm. last summer you get to know them on another level so when they do start to get you know bumped off and thought mm-hmm. you you do have that more of not just being scared, but you have that, you know, fear for them because you, you've quite got to know them quite well. Exactly. And they do do such a good job of kind of not just phoning in the archetypes of these kids, but like you're saying, take a little bit more time to kind of debunk that stuff and, you know, shine a little bit of a light on how in high school, you know, that's not who we are. We're trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to decide what we want to do with our lives. And, you know, huge events in our teen years really do have ramifications that go beyond, you know, hiding behind cheerleader or hiding behind jock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, and, you know, you were talking about, you know, how we were saying he takes a year to come back and to and everything. I mean, horror has always been, obsessed with anniversaries right i mean right right, probably halloween oh yeah loves like to wait a year doesn't he Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah his his interaction with anniversaries is pretty interesting too 
because since the canon has been so reworked where like you know now in these most recent ones they're like we're not even including all these other films like we're just going to ignore them and so it is kind of weird to think about what that means for the what the reason michael myers was doing what he was doing because i agree yeah. the anniversary thing is really true to the genre this idea that you know something can be so damaging to you that it can turn you into a monster and that maybe triggering event is what brings out your violence you know perhaps they're trying to talk about that well they did do a halloween installment didn't they where they spoke about that it was the alignment of the stars on a certain time of the nut of the year which drove michael myers to do what he did wasn't it like the thorn sign or something like that i can't quite remember Yes, it was, it was in, in the four, five, six. Yeah, <clears throat> the four, yeah. five, six kind of thing because that's when they're starting to go into like, is there this greater meaning, this greater purpose, even outside of the family dynamic? And I agree. Like, there's something interesting about looking at all the reasons or trying to figure out and understand madness. And that's why I don't love that, even though there's a campy, you just decided to remove them. <laughs> like they they have yeah. something, you know. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to see Michael Myers go on a killing spree on like the 21st of April or something. Just to see what the difference is. (laughs) Yeah, like just to see how they figure out a way to, after going in on the idea of anniversary or, uh, you know, their violence actually being connected to something meaningful to them. uh, Just kind of willy nilly being like, well, who is the slasher that just pops up for no reason? Like doesn't have kind of like a motive. Because even Billy yeah. ends up having a motive, you know, like, can you think yeah. of one where someone really has no motive that is personal for them? Right. Are we talking slasher films or in the horror genre in general? Like, I feel like, be, quickly like on the murder. tangents, I want to figure I mean, out if that, that can exist, really. Hannibal Lecter doesn't really have motives to see for what he does. He, he enjoys doing what he does. Ooh. That is interesting. And let me make a note that we should absolutely deep dive on all of the Hannibal Lecter content. We should go in hard on that. We're doing it. We're doing it. I've got the, the Blu-ray box set of the, uh, the Hannibal uh, Lecter yeah. trilogy. Yep, um, we'll have to. But yeah, that's maybe that is the best example of somebody who really just kind of honors that like this is who they are. You know, there's no rhyme or reason other than identity here. And that maybe that's why, you know, ultimately Hannibal Lecter is to everyone kind of the scariest because he's, you know, you wouldn't have to personally interact with him just for him to just sort of select you, you know, and decide you're tasty. (laughs) Yeah, decide. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those, he's unpredictable, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily get on with people that are unpredictable. I like to like, if there's... If there's a person that I'm going to see on a regular basis, whether it's due to work or something like that, I like to come mm-hmm. to them knowing what mood they're going to be in, knowing that they're, you know, mm-hmm. going to be a certain way. I don't like unpredictability. And I think that, that with Hannibal, I think that's the ultimate unpredictability. You don't know if he's going to sit, lay you down on a chaise lounge and ask mm-hmm. you about your mother, or mm-hmm. he's going to ask you to lay down on a chaise lounge and try and chew your leg off. So true. So true. I agree that that unpredictable uh, quality, I think, is something that is scary and kind of is somewhat outside of the slasher realm because they sort of 
the slasher really honors the idea that like I want to kill you so I'm not going to stop trying to kill you and where we are has a lot to do with how I'm going to try but I guess you know in the case of Hannibal Lecter <laughs> none of that stuff really matters it's maybe more what he's in the mood for today than anything else and he's not consistent enough to be predictable no that's true that's true I think that I think the the, uh, the same uh, very quickly just to touch upon them but I think the same goes for the uh, the chainsaw family as well yes ooh, yes you know yeah unpredictable yeah, that, why are they that, doing what they're doing why are they so mean yeah why <laughs> has this in their family become some sort of like integral part you know it's almost like uh killing is their family business in the way that they pass it <laughs> through generations you know yeah it's almost like a recipe isn't it but instead of like meat a meatloaf recipe it's a human meatloaf recipe <laughs> That that is the perfect way to sum it up. <laughs> that is spot <Yeah>. on. <laughs> you know what that mirrors, and Chainsaw is an interesting one to bring up because I do wonder. You know, does that really fit just the slasher realm, or is it you know something else? Because I think it kind of got marketed as a slasher. You know, like it's in it gets looped in, but I guess it, yeah. it does. It sort of walks a line the way so that. Um, Silence of the Lambs does, you know, and and all the other Hannibal Lecter films. No, I agree. I totally agree. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm, I'm, you know, you said to me, ask me to think of a film that has a character with no motive. Well, I'm going to ask you, do you think there's a film before I know what you did last summer, a slasher movie that uses that um, surprise ending of? You think the killer's dead, they've defeated him, but then the killer has one last hurrah at the end. Obviously, Scream does it, but mm-hmm. in a, like a way of they always come back. But I don't, I don't remember seeing anything as strong as that scene at the end of I Know What You Did Last Summer where she's in the, the steamed-up bathroom and she sees I Still Know written on the thing and then the killer just comes crashing through. Like, Do, do you remember anything like that? And the film ending? Well, that's the kind of funny thing about that type of last scare, because I feel like what Kevin Williamson is referring to is how in a lot of the really cheap slashers of the 80s, um, because I got lost in a bunch of really shitty 80s scary movies with slasher (laughs) storylines. And I'll have to take you through a list at some point so you can laugh so hard at some of the titles of these because they're really just by the book, total nonsense. And a lot of them do something similar where like everything should be fine and they just sort of do this really over the top ending simply because I think they wanted to continue these movies but not have to keep the same actors. Like, I don't think they wanted us to fall in love with the actors. They wanted us to fall in love with the killers. Yeah. I mean, Jason is the standout one, isn't it, really? Where people love, people love Jason. You could very rarely think of a cast member from the Friday the 13th franchise, but you know Jason, and you know Michael, yeah. and you know Freddy. Yep, and you also know who are the people that are associated with them. Like, we know that it's Nancy for Freddy. We know that, yeah. you know, it's Sydney in Scream and it's Jennifer Love Hewitt and I know what you did last summer. Like, I think that's yeah. maybe what I know what you did last summer was trying to accomplish was saying, like, you can have tropes just like you could in Scream, but also have something grounded. 
And that's what I meant with the consistency of Kevin Williamson in these couple of movies that he's sort of responsible for adapting or writing is he kept a form of consistency. So in a way he played with that unpredictability we're talking about and sort of found a way to both be predictable and not. No, absolutely. No, I completely agree. So, um, we have, I know what we did last summer, obviously um, a smash success. I think it was, it was huge, wasn't it? In the cinema. And I think rental as well, just blew the roof off of the, uh, the franchise. Yeah, it really took off even faster than Scream did because, you know, Scream sort of coming out and making people be like, oh, these movies about teenagers like are kind of good. Then everyone was so excited for I Know What You Did Last Summer, sort of recognizing it might be like a sequel to Scream before that one was coming because they were both in production kind of at the same time. And so there's it really popped off and had a much bigger opening weekend because of this. But then just like Scream did have that word of mouth. Um, which is kind of cool, you know, to think of how you can get a little bit of something from another movie, but not really need it at the end. Yeah. And I think the title is genius because you're, it sets a mystery up in your mind from the word go. Doesn't it? You just read the title and it's like, I know, I know what you did last summer. And immediately you're thinking, well, what did they do last summer? It's so true. Yeah, so, so true. <laughs> And to sort of also engage in that trope of, you know, killers loving to play with their victims in in a really fun way where, you know, the killer playing with the victims had a little bit more to do with what the victims themselves were afraid of rather than what could just be scary to an audience. Like, it was specific the way he played with each of these people, you know, playing on their unique uh, insecurities. Yeah. Um, well... Shani B, I've got something to tell you. What? I still know what you did last summer. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> the murderous fisherman with the hook is back to once again stalk the two surviving teens, Julian Ray, who left him for dead, as well as cause even more murder and mayhem, but this time at a posh island resort. <laughs> Yep, really having to stretch to get us back into the world, which is pretty funny considering how kind of tasteful they were able to leave us in the world, right? Like, he very well, they could have just continued their lives moving back home, and he could have been there and just continued his work. But for for him to be so desperate to get to this, these people that he's going to orchestrate a way to get to them is pretty funny. It's funny and it's really extravagant. It's it's faking radio shows. It's getting booking people onto flights and getting them to an island. Um, I'm not sure if he did it, if he orchestrated the storm itself, but <laughs> mm, right, right, definitely needed been... that one to show up for yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, he must have been looking at the weather reports for months in advance. Well, I mean, it does. It is. It does track with what we know about how interested and how determined he can be to patiently wait for the perfect time to attack. And it is pretty funny that you know, oh, again, God. all it's really weighing on is unfinished business. You know, like we were talking about how important the anniversary was to him in the first one, and now in the second, it's like, yeah, that's not really. That doesn't matter. It's really just going to be about trying to finish you know what i started and i'm gonna go over the top to do so (laughs) 
yeah, it's crazy. It is really a strange, strange plot for a sequel. But we've got uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt back. We've got Freddie Prince Jr. back. Uh, we've got new editions of uh, Brandy, uh, Mika Pfeiffer, and um, I'm sure isn't isn't Jack Black in this movie? Yes, I was hoping you'd remember the starring turn I... of Jack Black showing up to give us a little bit of comedy, which is so such an interesting choice because you know they had a side character who kind of threatened them in the beginning and was more of a red herring and it's really funny to just throw that right out the window for a little bit of humor yeah no i do remember him being an absolute stoner in it (laughs) yes the best stoner of all time and like kind of my favorite part like i love every time i rewatch it just remembering that he's going to be there and then you know seeing how outside of the genre he is against the genre is so fun yeah no i do agree with you it is good fun um and then we talk about we've got um is it matthew settle who plays will benson and can i just do the line because i think it's brilliant you have to please yeah julie ben son ben's son (laughs) ben willis (laughs) will benson yeah Oh it's my gosh. Such a bad line. Uh, yeah, mean... like feeding into the camp end of the horror genre and really just kind of falling to it. And yeah. Yeah. Oh God, just that, that moment is hilarious. But I just remembered the um the guy who is running the hotel is uh uh G- Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. So they're like tapping oh, yes. a great again totally just waste him yeah yeah no god oh my goodness yeah i mean because at the very least yeah i was gonna say at the very least you know having him there would have maybe given them a better explanation for how could they orchestrate this elaborate plan you know without somebody on the inside of the hotel yeah yeah but it just seemed to be everyone was just getting knocked off and murdered and you know, no one was battering an eyelid. It looks like the worst hotel. Do you know what? TripAdvisor on that hotel must have looked terrible. Oh, and especially after that experience. I'm sh- I know Brandy left a scathing review. There's no way she didn't. <laughs> One star. The prawns were off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay away from this place. There are better resorts out there. Absolutely. What did you think about the casting of Brandy when it was... Um when it was first released i remember thinking like the same kind of thing i thought in the first one like really being sad that sarah michelle keller couldn't be there but then loving brandy at the time culturally because she was really having kind of like an explosion of a new album and i had loved moesha growing up so i was just a huge fan of hers Mm. and kind of stoked she'd be there but then i just found myself laughing the entire way through because there's something so campy just about Brandy's presence, you know, and it was really <laughs> hard for her. It was really hard for her to let that go, get on the ground, and try to treat this with a little bit more reality. Sure, no, I agree. And um, you know where they filmed it, like the resort looks really good. I mean, like the actual scenery and the, um, you know, when they're running around and through the hotel, it looks really effective. Oh, yeah, I do. That's that's the strange thing here. 
is I, I do love, <clears throat> you know, that part of the story that they're sort of in this empty hotel and they can play with all the pieces of it. That's just, you know, part of why it's so weird that they had to orchestrate such an elaborate plan to give us that. When they live in a seaside town where there are absolutely hotels, it's by the water. <laughs> yeah. And also, couldn't they have just been going on holiday? Why did we need to have this whole thing of them winning, you know, the radio show, um, like, competition and, and all this? Couldn't they have just been going on holiday? I mean, to um, me, that, that feels like a really desperate attempt to try to plug a plot hole. Like, they're trying to be like, nope, we've thought of everything. Like, we haven't thought, we haven't missed one beat. We got Will Benson over here. We are orchestrating the travel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they were trying, yeah. I think, to avoid having plot holes and try to come off as maybe well thought through as the original, but just did not have any backbone to do that with. Yeah. No, it, I do... They were being over conscientious, I think, with the plot in that respect. It couldn't. It could have easily have just been that Julie and some friends went on holiday. Will Benson just happened to go with them and, and alert his father of where they were and what was going on. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know like, I mean? He was already in the inner circle. <clears throat> he could have just been pushing for the trip, planned it, made it an open thing. Everyone was excited for there was a lot of more realistic ways to try to say this big thing happened than doing the radio show, the prank call. So good. <laughs> now you're going to have to remind me, I can't remember the, there, there is a, um, I think there's a jump scare at the end. I think there's a final jump scare, but I can't remember what it is on I still know what we did last summer. Oh, um, it's amazing. Um, yep. Same. Kind oh, of remind idea. me, remind me. Yep, same kind of idea where, you know, they think everything is nice and settled and they've returned to their little relationship dynamic. But this time, they bought a house together and they're just settling into the night in their new home uh, when a window is left open and there are some muddy footprints across the floor. And she sits uh -oh. in bed and under the bed is where the killer is. He hooks her ankle with his hook, pulls her under the bed screaming, and it's over. Oh, but the thing is, though, we'll never know if that was true or not, because that we never got a threequel with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. So I'm oh. assuming I'm assuming that maybe that was it for her. I'm, <clears throat> I mean, I guess they tried to sweep under the rug that those jump scares are her having traumatic nightmares, you know, about her experience. So I'm sure they yeah. thought that's fine. But I agree. One of the saddest parts of this franchise is that they did not get the third film to just go ahead and wrap it up because they had flubbed so hard the sequel. <laughs> yes. But we did get another sequel. But it doesn't really fall into our, you know, jurisdiction when it comes to 90s. But they did, in 2006, make I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, um, which God. I what a travesty. Oh, it's yeah. terrible. Um, it's absolutely it terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, okay. I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, tr tr again, trying to be in the consistent space, but really cannot nail it in the way that sometimes unpopularly, I think Scream 3 was able to. Like, I really think that the writer of Scream 3 respected what Kevin Williamson was going for and worked really hard to try to get in there, you know, even if that wasn't perfect. And just as the I Know We Did Last Summers go on, they're less and less able to really capture 
you know, where he is. And so it's just sad, you know, like I, this is one area where I'm like, let's lose that third one. Let's get Jennifer Love Hewitt back. Let's get Pretty Prince back. And let's have them be adults with their kids going through some trash. And let's start this shit over again. Let's do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Could have brought back Will Benson. <laughs> he didn't get a fair with a crack of the whip, did he? Bless him. I would like to actually see a. I'd like to see a series on HBO. Will Ooh. Benson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would absolutely well, be down to try to figure out, you know, like, just like they did with Scream, are there ways to reinvigorate this thing for TV so that it can kind of play even further with all of those uh, more uh, melodramatic parts of this story? Absolutely. I think that that would be um, interesting. Um, so that as of, um, let me just double check. As of 2021, nothing yet, but there is a TV show planned of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes. Fantastic. So we'll both get what we want. We will. And it's, it was planned for this year, but I think COVID might have put the, uh, the mockers on that. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's be, the writer is Sarah Goodman, uh, okay. who's, yeah, so, no, I mean, it's her only credit at the moment. But we'll see what happens there. But having Googled it, yeah, it does look like we are getting a TV show of I Know What You Did Last Summer. That could be interesting. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I think... Oh, it's there's... announced by Amazon, announced by Amazon that they're going to be developing a series of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, that actually intrigues me more than if it was an HBO show or just a Netflix show. Like, there's something... There is a little bit of a dif- uh, differentiator for like how Amazon goes after this stuff. And so I'm pretty stoked yeah. about that. So yeah, of October the 14th, 2020, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer series is a go at Amazon. Yes, fantastic news. Thank you for being up to date with that research and That's letting okay. me in on it nice and early. Yeah. Sarah Goodman is known for writing for Preacher and Gossip Girl. Ooh, um, that's kind of perfect. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So we're getting it. We're getting. I'd love to know. Anyway, it's time to n- to leave I Know What You Did Last Summer behind because I now know what Shani B did last summer. She told me over <laughs> Instagram and you guys do not want to know. Okay. So <laughs> it's a bit blue. So um, moving on. Um, have you ever heard of that woman who puts her dog in the microwave to dry it off after a walk and it explodes? Yes, that poor old lady. Don't yeah, do why would you do that? Or, you know, the the couple in the car and the boyfriend gets out to go for a piss and then she hears screeching on the roof and she gets out the car and he's hanging from a tree with his feet, you know, scraping on top of the roof. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, yes, yes. Urban legends are a huge part oh. of an American childhood. And I wonder you know, are they a big thing in the UK? Like what, are there cool new ones that like I have never heard of because, you know, different culture? Sure. You know, we don't really do, I don't think we do urban legends. We do like, we call them a friend of a friend. That's what we call them. So a friend of a friend told me that this happened or a friend of a friend told me this story. We don't necessarily call them urban legends here. We, We call them a friend of a friend. 
Ooh, I love that yeah. because that is the same kind of thing. But it is interesting that we call them urban legends. Like I, I've never really figured out what the hell that's supposed to be. Like the legends part makes total sense. But like, what's going on with the urban part? Yeah. Yeah, they're legends and they're urban. <laughs> suburban. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that either. <laughs> yeah, I feel like suburban legends is much more accurate because I absolutely had heard all of these before this movie came out. Like as a small child being told stories of all of this stuff because I had a pretty extravagant stepfather who loved these stories and scaring yeah. me and all of my friends at slumber parties with these stories. So <laughs> it's amazing to think about like how excited I was at that time and how still very excited I get whenever I rewatch because it was like all those stories as a kid, I was like, no way, no way. And I just loved being like, yes way. Oh, oh yes way. Wow. That's how you do it. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's it. It's like the popping candy, isn't it? Popping candy and and Coke. You know. Oh, I tried that one pop, pop, like right away. Soda. I tried it right <laughs> away because I was like, "There's no way." I love pop rocks. There's no way. There's no way. But I can remember the fear when I took that sip and being like, "Holy shit! If I die right now, like, oh no!" And then I did oh, no. it was perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, I loved, uh, I love Urban Legend. And as like a trifecta, because of course the faculty has to be in this group, but like Urban Legend is a great way to continue exploring these young people, horror movies and the slasher franchise, you know, all the different ways people can pick up a homicide, I guess. Absolutely. So, uh, Urban Legend came out in 1998, and it's about a college um, student suspects a series of bizarre deaths are connected to certain urban legends. So now, good. I'd heard the phrase urban legend before, but I didn't necessarily know, like, what an urban legend was. So, I think this film was my first experience of hearing these stories. And um, the cast of this film is incredible. Oh my God, it's amazing. And the fact that like Jared Leto, like early Leto is there. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Absolutely. Um, and we've got, uh, is it Rebecca Gayhart who was in Scream 2 playing one of the sorority girls? Yes. And also, I guess, Jawbreaker, which isn't quite a slasher, but is definitely like in this time period yeah. kind of leaning in. And I love Rebecca Gayhart in this movie. I love her character. I love the sort of like dynamic of, of there's definitely crazy behind those eyes, but is it just like, I am that crazy looking hot girl or, you know, is there actually something back there, you know? Sure. <clears throat> and I think what was interesting, <clears throat> slipping slightly back to I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm -hmm. there was no reveal in I Know What You Did Last Summer. There was no like big twist you know the killer was the person that they knocked down you know that was mm -hmm. that 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 was the twist almost <clears throat> but i i remember with urban legend really not guessing who it was oh absolutely i i think that's also because i all i loved all of those actors at the time like i was definitely down for tara reed even though she was gonna have a, a really hard downfall i was like she's so fun i really love that she's here 
sort of definitely doing something that she's not equipped for, but she's going in anyway. You know, like I was yeah. really endeared. I was so endeared to these actors that I really couldn't figure out who it was because I so didn't want it to be anyone, right? Like I, I thought Jared Leto was for sure going to turn out to be the killer for most of the story. And he did such a good job of he- of holding that red herring part good, uh, well. And um, yeah, I love how um, just like I still know what you did last summer, uh, Urban Legend also taps, you know, one of the greats and has and Freddie is the professor, uh, Robert England. So, yes, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind yeah. of nice to also stay kind of in that homage space, but then, you know, do a really good job of confusing me in terms of like, you know, because this thing is so specific, how do I identify who has a specific connection to urban legends in this cast? Yeah. Now, I do want to speak to you about probably one of the best openings of a movie ever. Oh, my God. In yes. urban legend. Uh, so For, amazing. To the point where I think that Um, I always thought to myself that hiring someone to work in a gas station who has a stutter is probably never a good idea. (laughs) Right. Just inherently scary. Yeah. But also really inconvenient when there's someone in the back seat. Oh, I love, (laughs) love, love that open because I mean, like obviously a big part of watching this movie was sort of feeling like I could tell what was going on just because I knew the legends. So I kind of knew what to expect when certain things were happening or I really enjoyed when they started being like, Ooh, which one is this going to be? You know, like what's what, which one? And I just loved how they also, the, the guy in the open there is Chucky. So the, that gas station attendant is the man who voices yes. Chucky. <laughs> Which yeah. I was like, yes, yes. You know, like just losing my head with, <laughs> I'm about to get another one of my favorite things, a Kevin Williamson style horror movie that is going to give me homages to all the other ones I love. And yeah. he just does such a good job of kind of walking that line where you're like, should we trust this guy? But then I was like, we have to, because I this can't be an Urban Legends about a gas station attendant. Like, there is none. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's uh, a terrifying sequence. It's one of those things where you're not quite sure what's going on, why are they doing this? And then when he just says that line about there's someone in the back seat, you're just like, oh, my God. That's yep. my worst nightmare. Like, Every time you... I get into the car today, even in the daylight, I just peep the back seat real quick to make sure nothing's back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got some other... Um, horror like um, Illuminati here we've got um, uh, Daniel Harris is in this movie Um, yeah well known for playing Jamie in the uh, Halloween franchise Um, you know she's she got a bit of a raw deal on Halloween so it was nice to see her back in a horror movie Joshua Jackson who was huge at the time in uh, Dawson's Creek Yep, yep. And, you know, another actor that I was totally endeared to at the time and, like, definitely bummed how quickly they lost him. Like, was really like, oh, come on. 
he's really adorable, but he does look really gay in this movie. Like he's got his little blonde highlights going on. Yeah, he's like a really. He's just. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely a, a definitely a gay icon in um in urban legend. Oh, absolutely. Especially because I feel like he, the character he's playing, he doesn't quite know how to play because they kind of relegated him to playing sort of like a little asshole, like fuck boy or something. And like yeah. that's just not Joshua Jackson. Like he doesn't really have a bone like that in his body. So it's kind of funny yeah. kind of watching him bring that very cute uh, charisma he has to this weird character with blonde tips. Like just everything is Blonde really tips. feeding a different narrative. <laughs> yeah, the real killer in this movie, the Blonde Tips. Mm, now, absolutely. What What would you call that coat? Is it a parka? Is that what you'd call it? The coat that the killer wears. Yes. With the big hood. Yes. Yep. Yep. A I would call it a parka, and I'm so glad you're drawing attention to the coat because I love how simple yet scary it ends up being like the person walking in that coat is crazy intimidating and i love it absolutely it's because you know you could walk into that person at any time walking down the road couldn't you someone wearing a coat like that especially in the cold weather people have got their hoods up you can't necessarily see their face so that's why i think it's genius Oh, I totally agree. You know, like, certainly the kind of, uh, I guess, like, kill outfit that you'd never blink twice at. You know, they could follow you all the way home on campus and you'd never notice, because why would you? Exactly. And what I really like about Urban Legend is the pacing of it. I think it's a very well-paced film. I think it builds up nicely. And at the end, it is just chaos. You know, at the oh. party, dog in a microwave, you know, popping cat. Oh, God, it's just it's just let's all hell loose. Yeah. I love that. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I love how, like, while they're in that space doing the dog legend, Tara Reid is on the radio getting murdered. So the chaos you're yeah. talking about is so well executed at that time, for sure, because they're nailing two at once. And somehow they figured out how to align two at once because of the box of college, which I love. Absolutely. Like putting all of these legends into a context that was close to where I'd be someday. And I was just thinking like, well, you know, you're all on your own at this place and this shit is happening to you. And it's weird. Yeah. So like, what do you, it (laughs) it does have a certain level of unpredictability because like there are plenty of legends to choose from. Who's going to get you, you know? Yeah. And let's not forget um, Loretta Devine in this film playing the uh, security guards absolutely. who actually crosses over from the first movie to the second yes I love that she is the consistent factor of these two movies <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so it's, it's such a it's funny crazy. yeah it's such a funny it's thing and it's so I love that you brought up the sequel because the sequel also has like Anthony Anderson and oh, fuck, yeah. I can't think of this guy's name, but a dude who like later goes on to just sort of be a CW darling in supernatural shows. And, mm-hmm. you know, for being a sequel that like really didn't get a lot of play, uh, it's actually not so bad. I kind of enjoy the sequel. Um, it's certainly not nearly as much it. as the original. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think that's because maybe because the first one was 
did have quite a big cast. I mean, I remember watching the second one and not really knowing anyone in it. Uh, personally, I mean, it's got like um, Ava Mendes in it. It's like you said, it's got uh, Loretta Devine coming back as Reese, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the security guard. But um, I enjoyed the sequel. I I liked the fact that the killer wore a fencing mask. I thought that was quite yeah. neat. Very very uh, very clever, endearing. <laughs> Again, you know, um, it's uh, something you would see. Well, not obviously not unless you go to private school but it's something you see quite often and mm-hmm. you know I, I just think it's really clever to use these everyday objects as being threatening I think it's a really <clears throat> nice touch yeah <clears throat> that's exactly why I think even though the second one isn't kind of as uh, perfectly executed as the first it did nail down kind of the important pieces you need in order to make this thing scary right like just like you're saying those ordinary objects that like you that they sort of do carry a somewhat of an intimidating notion but only if the person wearing them is nefarious right like if you've ever watched fencing because low-key fencing is one of my favorite things to watch at the olympics i fucking love Mm -hmm. watching fencing (laughs) and um, i feel like there are certain fencers that really do take postures that are really effective in just totally dismantling their partners and I love that randomly Urban Legend 2 figured that out or something or found a similar way to relate to it. And uh, I love, you know, that that person walking in that getup is so good. Absolutely. Now, we've mentioned some of our favorite uh, slasher 90s franchises here. We've got I Know What You Did Last Summer. We've got Urban Legends. Now, I am uh, do a lot of research before we talk, but I also make sure that I keep up IMBD whilst we're talking, just in case I want to grab any additional facts. And the thing mm-hmm. that I'm noticing, which I would love to dis- like to discuss with you, is that these mm-hmm. films, even though we're very endeared to them, and they are really well-made, clever, um, story-structured-wise, they are brilliant, always mm-hmm. get a very low rating when it comes to scores on things like Rotten Tomatoes and IMBD. Why do you think horror is um, suffers so badly uh, when it comes to popular <clears throat> opinion? I think that that is because horror films rarely kind of get the respect that they do because people don't often apply a true critical eye to them. People look at them as purely entertainment And so they're really going in from this place of like, I want something to be the way I want it. And that's all I'm interested in here to have a good time. And that's not really the way that film critics watch things like drama. Like they're much more willing to look at the critical execution of drama than they are of horror, which is really disappointing because, you know, as you and I both know, horror is so much deeper than the boobs and blood. Like it always is, even when there's a surplus of boobs and blood, it still finds a way to try to talk about something meaningful. And that always gets skipped over. Like they rarely look at the dramatic elements that are at play in horror because they're, they're wanting to see the boobs and blood. No, I completely agree with you. I think that also um, what people are scared of, I think is subjective. You know, we're all scared of different things. So therefore, yeah. you could watch a movie and find it terrifying. I could watch it and not find it that <clears> scary because I don't have that emotional reaction to whatever that film is about. So I think when yeah. it comes to the public voting of, <clears> of <throat> horror movies, I think it is all very subjective to what we each and every one of us finds scary and, you know, and an element of a horror movie. 
I totally agree. And I also think, you know, that's the part that disappoints me about the emotional element being overlooked is that horror movies are also kind of an examination in empathy because the way that you take them in has a lot to do with what you're also empathizing with, not just kind of what is scaring you here, but like, do you really care about what's happening to this family as this thing takes place? You know, like, do you really care about what is happening to Sydney while this thing takes place? And I think that's what gets missed is you're so distracted, like they get so distracted with what is scary and whether or not that was a good scare that they're not looking at whether or not that was an effective story. They kind of miss the story. No, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. So um, we were on the Urban Legend franchise. I think what's great about the second Urban Legend, by the way, is that they treat the first film as an Urban Legend. I think that's really really clever. I like that. And then there's a third one. I haven't seen it. What do you, what have you, what did you think? Bloody Mary, I think it's called. <laughs> I have not seen it, but I need to because Bloody Mary is so, such a funny one to me. It's one that I also <laughs> heard about. And in my elementary school, they had to take it out of the library because so many kids were going to the bathroom together to try to play it with one another. And, you know, little bits of kind of scare tactics and somewhat bullying situations were kind of coming out of it with all of these children under 10. So the school totally freaked out and was like, we have to take this out and like not tell the kids about it, (laughs) which I remember thinking like, this is so stupid. It's clearly not a real thing. Like what, what, why is anyone actually taking it seriously? And I guess that goes to show like how strange legends are for people to, I guess, internalize, you know, like treat as though they're possible. You know what I mean? No, I I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And there is a, I do have an ulterior motive to bringing up Urban Legends Bloody Mary, because obviously Bloody Mary is, like you said, you go in, you say it in a mirror and bad things happen to you. Exactly (laughs) like another film that we're going to talk about, Candyman. Yes. Yes. It's true. It's kind of like when I saw Candyman, I wondered which one came first. Because, you know, as I have come to understand about America is that often folks of color come first and then America just finds the first white guy that did it or white woman that did it. And it's like they were first. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind no, of like, hmm. Yeah. So Candyman, 1992. Um, I saw this film when I was going through my my days of going to Blockbuster and just ordering, like basically just getting anything out I could because I was mm-hmm. like thirsty for horror movies at that point. You know, I was yeah. watching at this point like Wishmaster, you know, yes. um, pretty much all those kind of films. I was just going to be like Dawn of the Dead. I remember renting that out. Um, oh. and Urban, Le- Urban Legend as well was one of those films. But then I got Candyman out, and I have to say, this was the film that probably really did uh, get under my skin the most. Oh, absolutely. Like, honestly, I had no fear of Bloody Mary, but, like, when I saw Candyman, I was like, ooh, shit, like, that one really freaks me out. And Candyman was nailing several scary factors for me because it, the thing with him always having the bees around him and bees being such a huge part of you know whatever he is 
fucking terrified me because I am lifelong terrified of bees. Like, have a <laughs> serious fear and aversion to them that started, it, I think, is my first memory. And Candyman just fucked, fucked it up. Nightmare City after that one. Yeah. I mean, the, um, so just if you haven't seen Candyman, guys, the Candyman, a mysterious, sorry, a murderous soul with the hook for a hand is accidentally summoned into reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. Now, um, I think this, I think it's safe to say that this role really made like Tony Todd, um, like famous in the horror genre, like really cemented him as like up there with one of the Kings of the horror genre. Oh, absolutely. And just such an effective sort of, uh, killer, at doing, you know, what we were talking about before, not only nailing the the fear factor, but also really pulling at the empathetic factor, like trying to help you understand that this murderous soul is also a tortured soul and it has yeah. also been looking for something for so long. And it's just so interesting because it absolutely makes Tony Todd, but it also randomly is sort of solidifying that Virginia Madsen is low-key a screen queen. Like she's made several horror movies, but nobody really ever talks about her as as like being a, a tenant. And she's a huge part of Candyman, like making sure this thing is effective and scary because you know, riding alongside her is terrifying. Yeah. No, I agree. She's been in some great horror movies in the past. I believe she was in one of the entries to um The Prophecy, you know, that Christopher yes. Walken franchise that was just weird. Oh hell yes. Oh, it's so weird. So weird. <laughs> so incredibly so weird. weird. <laughs> I mean, um, like I said, Candyman really got under my skin because it deals with some really heavy issues. Like it deals with um, slavery. It deals with, um, you know, people living in um, not so great accommodations. You know I mean, it deals with uh, poverty in the, yep. in the United States. Yeah. It deals with um, R- racial think, bias. You know, like racial modern bias. racial bias. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, I, and I'm not surprised at all, actually, that the remake has got um, such a... Like, people are so excited for it. I'm not surprised. And it's, you know, got Jordan Peele as a producer. I think that it's going to be really special because I think that even though the, the 90s version does really well at explaining, I think mm-hmm. now that there is more sort of um oh, i can't think of the word but there's people are you know with everything more... that's going on in the world right now we are looking um, at these issues in, with a different mindset and i think that to bring this story back <clears throat> looking at it through the eyes of of 2020 in the 2020s i think mm-hmm. is going to be more impactful what do you think I totally agree. I absolutely agree because I think, you know, that's exactly why people are now starting to be a little bit more aware of the emotional cores of horror. And Jordan Peele is like very much to very much responsible for that, like reintroducing that other tenant of horror, which is the deep empathetic stories that underlie. And Candyman definitely did that for me too, because I just remember feeling like so intruded upon, like, how did I not see these things like I this is this doesn't exist in my town this is so scary it'd be so scary to live there 
and just like understanding and being introduced to that in my favorite space was so important. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we'll get another shot at that to give that to another group of, of people. No, I agree. I'm really looking forward to the new Candyman. Unfortunately, due to COVID, um, it's been pushed back again, but I think we should have already had it. But, um, mm -hmm. oh dear. Um, yeah, I've got to admit, I do love Candyman. Um, I, I will tell you something, uh, not to make you jealous, but mm -hmm. I went to Fright Fest last year. And, you know, I told you at Fright <coughs> Fest that if you put your hand up and ask the directors a question, they give yeah. you free stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a Candyman goodie bag. <gasps> and it Amazing. had um, It had a book in it, like, a, like a, an art book in it. And it had the Arrow Video Special Edition Blu-ray of the movie. And it's incredible. So um, I got to relive Candyman all over again quite recently. And I tell you what, it's, it's a classic. It really is. Um, if you haven't seen it, listeners, I really uh, suggest you go and hunt that one out because it is great. There are <coughs> sequels. I haven't seen them. Uh, have you seen them, Shani B? I have only seen them when I was young because when they were coming out, I was able to get them. Um, but I mm. haven't seen them again as an adult. So I have been planning to sort of do like watch the whole thing all together to see kind of how I feel. So that's definitely something I'm going to have to do sooner rather than later. But I was trying to wait to do it with the release. And so every time it gets pushed, I'm like, oh, should I keep waiting? Oh, can't tell. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's three altogether. So there's Candyman and then Candyman Farewell to the Flesh came out in 1995. And then mm -hmm. Candyman Day of the Dead came out in 1999. Yeah. So there's a trilogy. God, I remember just being so terrified and having so many nightmares around Candyman that maybe I just straight up blocked out those second two because they were too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So and Candyman Day of the Dead was actually, was actually a production from Artisan who obviously made a lot of money from, um, from the Blair Witch Project. Yep. Yep. Oh, the Blair Witch Project is great. We'll have to make a note of that too, so we can talk. Oh, kind of we about, are doing this. You know that oh, vibe. My I cannot wait. Oh, Shani B, we, we, this is a meeting of minds. This really is. I'm so grateful. Oh, so so, so grateful. grateful. You know, for this app and its ability to connect us. You know, in such a meaningful way. Because, Indeed. like you said at the top, you know, we're from two different worlds, but holy smokes, are we so connected? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, Candyman is about a legend, you know, coming back to life. And the next film I would like to talk to you about is also about a legend being reborn. And yes. I would like to talk to you now about Halloween H2O. Yes. So excited to talk about this because <clears throat> holding with that consistency of Kevin Williamson joining to pen a remake made me so happy and of course my favorite of all time josh hartnett is there introducing <laughs> it's introducing it's his first swing and he nails yeah. it like also michelle williams jody lynn o'keefe being there fucking uh janet lee popping up and sort of rocking a mother type dynamic with jamie lee curtis was just fucking crack like i was so high off of yep. that shit you know, yeah, and it's so good. Like LL Cool J, sort of like bringing the same kind of charisma that I thought Brandy might bring, but in a way that it was so much more endearing to me. Like I just appreciate, you know, his presence and bringing a little bit more 
like flavor to kind of like the reality of these situations. Absolutely. Um, before we delve too deep into this, I just want to listen to the messages quickly because I think that some people might be messaging in about Candyman. So if we're going to do these messages and then we'll delve straight deep into Halloween Hate Show, how does that sound? Oh, deal. Absolutely. Here we go. Hello, guys. It's Jessica, <laughs> the scene that you saw. And have a good night. Bye, and yes. If you want to chat, we can chat. Thank you. Nice. Thank you, Jessica. Bye, love. Hope you're having a good one. Guys, I just jumped in. Which sequel are we talking? I'm trying to like figure it out without having to ask you. But <laughs> the fencing mask. I'm like, dude, which movie are we talking? Can you guys fill me in? Which sequel are we talking about here, please? And much love to both of you. I love you both. Hope you guys are having a great day. Peace. Uh, love you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, we, were we were talking, talking about Candyman, I believe, when you jumped oh. in. He did say, though, he was wondering the sequel with the fencing mask, and that was when we were talking oh. Urban Legend 2. Oh, yeah. Urban Legend 2. The final cut. Uh, and then we had we switched. Discussing. Yeah, we switched over our legends uh, via Urban Legend because Candyman's a legend. Absolutely. We're so good at finding these little segues. Oh, abs- we are the most talented. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Urban Legend 2. <laughs> okay. Oh. For sure. Urban Legend Part 1. Oh, God. Ugh. Such good movies. I'm sure you guys have already talked about. I know what you did last summer. Um, oh, yeah. Part 2, you know, uh, Scream, obviously. Everyone in the Midwest needed a Scream mask for Halloween back in the late mid to mid 90s. I was going crazy <laughs> about getting the whole thing. I needed boots. I needed the, the freaking like cape and all that shit. But the mask is super cheap, so my mom got me that, and we figured something out. But over years, like I wore it like four times. There's ones that bleed; they glow in the dark. The screen mask is everything over here, dude. Like straight up, it's all about freaking the screen mask. Um, but yeah, you guys are awesome. Keep having a great talk. Thank oh, thanks, you. perfect. Yeah, I can just up perfectly. Yeah, what was going just, down to, uh, to Goodwill to try and find screen boots? Yes, and he's totally got it that like the scream costume is not a one-time wear. It is sustainable and worth wearing almost every Halloween, at least to one of your parties. (laughs) I love that. I do love that. Guys, and speaking of horror movies, it's not. It's like mid two thousands. But have you guys? It's not really even horror. It's like super suspense. Have you seen The Strangers? Oh my god. Mm fucking so good uh dismal ending so sad but but such a good movie uh that the music the pacing everything um i'm pretty sure it's called the strangers where i think uh Liv tyler is in yes. it um true story too i found out fucked up but yeah great movie i you I love the kind strangers. of i love the strangers and i kind of love that he was that he like thought of it when we we're talking about legends because he also said true story I found out which like I've never heard that so to me that's like an urban legend in a way like the story of like the young couple yes. and strangers just come and kill them that is a perfect urban legend well do you know what Shani B that happened to a friend of a friend of mine <laughs> yes we're doing it we started it <laughs> we've started it it's happening it's out there now happened to a friend of a friend 
<laughs> Amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah. The Strangers is totally a slasher. It's mid 2000s, but it is an evolved slasher. So it fits in the, these conversations for sure. Oh, we we can definitely go on to the 2000s uh, slasher movies at some point in the near future. Absolutely. We um, will. Just a question, though. Was there an alternative ending to The Strangers? Yes, there is an alternative ending where she survives um, and wakes up for the kids. But I don't think that that was the original theatrical release. I believe that came with the DVD. Yes, because that's the only version that I've seen where her eyes like jump open at near the at the end. And yes, yeah, screaming the best screech, you know, like perfect way yeah. <laughs> to drop the dime yeah, on yeah. it. So they changed the ending for the DVD release. That's interesting. Right. Do you think it's because the ending didn't play well in the cinema? maybe you know like just like you were saying with I know we did last summer like having that final jump scare to sort of invigorate the audience one last time before releasing them the strangers really did have such a dismal ending where like all night long you were hoping these people might figure out a way to overcome this thing but unfortunately you know they're just going to roll away into the sunrise uh, on to the next home and uh, I think by adding this moment of like it's horrendous that these children find her, but she's alive because they went in. And so there is a little bit of hope, a spark at the end there. And maybe that's something they thought the film was missing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you completely. Right, let's hit a little ditty. Hey guys, speaking of scared movies, uh, I... Oh. oh no. Okay, I think her finger slipped. I used to be scared of Chucky when I was little. Did you ever watch Chucky? And was you scared yeah. of him? Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Chucky. absolutely. Yeah, taking Chucky. Chucky takes the slasher to, you know, a great place, like following the lead of Freddy and just sort of haunting things, but in a real slasher-oriented way. Love, love, love Chucky. Um, definitely yeah. something we'll yeah. also need to earmark and talk about. It is integral um, to the genre. <laughs> Sure. I mean, I've only ever seen, I think, the first two. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that when we go and talk about Chucky, we can talk about the social impact in the UK of the Chucky movies because Ooh. we had a very, very... Um, well, I'll tell you very briefly about it. We had a very tragic murder in the UK where two oh. uh, 10-year-old boys murdered a, a three-year-old child. <gasps> Oh my gosh! Yeah, oh. James, James oh Bolger. Goodness. Yeah, they 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 took him from his mum's side in a, in a um, in a supermarket and took him to train tracks and killed him. Uh, but oh. they had watched one of the uh, the child's play movies the the previous evening, oh. and that movie was pretty much one of the things that they blamed for the boy's behaviour. Wow. Wow, yeah, yeah I mean, oh, that would be so, oh gosh, that would be so hard to to navigate because, you know, the, the Chucky movie is so campy and for that to yeah. be, you know, part of what contributes to someone really taking, you know, that idea and then doing something so terrible, it, yeah. it, I think it's part of why horror is a hard genre for people to treat with too much respect because of sort of what it's making its money on. Sure. 
Well, these were two 10-year-old boys, you know, very impressionable at the time. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that that movie was not the only film that they were probably watching that was not appropriate for themselves. Um, you know, they went to jail for a very long time. Um, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a whole story behind that as well. I don't want to get into it because it's, it is pretty pretty just sad and, you know, upsetting. But I think that that's, that for me has slightly marred my my opinion on the uh, mm. and the, my watchability of the child of child's play movies but i have seen the first two uh, okay but for a lot of people my age like that that sort of were sort of, I, I was about the same age maybe a little bit older than the boys that killed james bolger at the time that it happened mm-hmm. so um you know i think that uh yeah i think that it's uh yeah, sad story. It's a very sad yeah. story. Do you know what I would yeah. love to do, you know, in tandem as just maybe another talk we could engage with is sort of discussing the direct cultural, like, implications or ramifications of some of the best horror movies. Because it is so interesting to sort of now learn, you know, something that correlates after being exposed to Chucky for, like, 20 years in a such a campy way where, like, he isn't even scary anymore and it's not about being scary it really is about him being pretty misogynistic and aggressive yeah. and just like finding really funny ways to kind of humiliate and kill and to just sort of yeah. see or think about how like oh yeah of course that is something the wrong person could could really lift up and think we're glorifying no totally i'd love to do that chat i think that'd be a really important chat I think we talk about our love for horror because we see it as sane, you know, people. We see it as entertainment, whereas a lot of people that might not necessarily be of um, of sound mind, so to speak, might take those elements of the, the of the genre and and try to implement them in real life, which is definitely a conversation to be had. I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're right. You know, like that our love of horror is about sort of sane people's experience of horrific situations. And, you know, that does require the right level of empathy. You know, that empathy I'm talking about that is determined by horror is, you know, like, who are you empathizing with has a lot to do with how you're taking this in. And it's clear, you know, that when it's taken in the wrong way, because of how, uh, how graphic it is, uh, there's a risk there for sure no absolutely right we're going to hit through these uh ditties and then we're going to talk about halloween h2o we've got about 20 minutes left here on um a real horror show guys so if you want to leave any more messages about uh halloween h2o now is your time but we're going to get through these ditties now are you ready here we go yes i was hoping you guys were going to bring up Candyman. um my family is from the south side of Chicago. I was raised in Rockford, Illinois, but my family is from the south side of Chicago where the Cabrini Greens uh, projects were. Um, and it just, in the Midwest, that shit was real. Like, Candyman was such a scary story that everything about it, the bees scared us forever, uh, on top of my girl. Um, but I digress. Um, yes. But yeah. just Tony Todd, <laughs> the whole idea of it. Um, I learned how to play the theme, actually, from that. Um, and maybe from part two. No, it's from part one. It's a really creepy, like, Halloween-type thing. But I play it on guitar, like, during Halloween time. It's really, really cool. Um, but, yeah, Candyman all the way, man. Such a great Midwestern slasher film, for sure. Yeah, oh absolutely. Him bringing up the score, 
kills me because that score makes my skin crawl. And so, ooh, to imagine going by his house at Halloween, no thanks. Yeah. And also, I'd just like to add in here that for us Brits, you know, when we're looking at the, the settings of these movies, they are like alien worlds to us in some respects. Obviously, we see a lot of familiarity there. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at the Midwest, you know, prospects. You know, we're seeing something that is very far from what we normally would see in our neighbourhood. So yeah. I think that also brings an element of horror as, you know, not only are you in a scary situation, but you're in sort of unfamiliar territory. Yes. Um, which I think just adds that other layer. I'm not saying that, it, it, I mean, there are, not, there are other reasons why it's scarier for you guys in the States because it's on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, um, especially again, sort of like, because I started watching horror movies like at really impressionable ages, I think it has a lot to do with how much I connect to them because I always empathized with the character and thought of myself as in these situations and like how I'd feel about it. And that's another reason why Candyman is so terrifying because you're right. I knew it existed because it was in America and I had heard (laughs) of Chicago. And so I knew that this was real and that made me so scared because I thought, holy shit, thank I'm so thankful that isn't happening to me. What the fuck? Why is that happening? What is happening? You know, exactly. like feeling very that unfamiliar territory feeling so incredibly overwhelming, even though I could recognize it and see similarities, like you're saying. Yeah. Whereas I live in a town uh, that 10 minutes from me is a town called St. Osith, which is uh, where they used to um, execute the witches in England oh. in like the in the 17th century. They used to take the witches there and they used to have a place called the Cage they'd lock them mm-hmm. up and they'd take them out one by one to get hung or burnt alive or you oh. know and it's uh, and it's one of the most haunted places in the united kingdom and we have that folklore we have that like you have salem and we have this sort of very more medieval um like folklore but Ooh. you know things like the wicker man you know and mm-hmm. and the witch you know come from you know they're very sort of have very british um sort of elements in them because you know we were doing that we i mean i know that salem is probably the most famous place for witches but we had witch finder generals that were stomping around the country and killing women mm-hmm. like like there was like there was no tomorrow so oh absolutely you know i think yeah we all have our another... horror stories i think that's the point i'm trying to make you know we have we all have our horror stories in there even though they can be very similar you know, um, mm-hmm. historically, I think we have um, in the UK some very a very disturbing past when it comes to sort of uh, horror tropes, as in like witches and things like that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that's also part of what what makes horror movies a place where you can examine these very human things because our histories are horrifying. You know, like the things that we as people have done and the pain that we have caused that there are ramifications for today are mirrored in, you know, what a ghost story is. And you're right, you know, like being from the UK, it's so amazing to think of the different histories we're each trying to reckon with while also trying to recognize one another's. You know, like Americans are very obsessed with the UK and all the history it gets to have because it's just as white as us in so many ways. And that's <laughs> yeah. re- 
you know what I mean? That's really funny yeah. to me because that's also part of what drives the horror here. Yeah, and also um, I've had a conversation, obviously, over the festive period uh, with with the um, guys from the States, our amazing cousins. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> Christmas for us is a, is a time of ghost stories and, you know, horror elements because obviously we amazing. had Charles Dickens who wrote The Christmas Carol, which is a very scary story. You know, there's like, there's four ghosts or five ghosts in that book that are, you yeah. know, chilling. So that mm-hmm. definitely had an impact on Christmas. On BBC Two, which is one of our main channels here, we have a ghost story for Christmas every single year since the 1970s, a dramatisation of uh, of an M.R. James or a, a Charles Dickens, you know, like the Signalman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, that sort of horror element is very embedded here as well. You know, Christmas is not just a time for you to get presents and celebrate. It's a time for you to be very wary of the fact that... Um, you know, it's also quite a spooky period here in the UK. Yeah, it's truly, you know, talking about reckoning with, you know, whether or not you've had a good, you've been good, you know, before this night in a way, like been a good person in many respects. And I love, you know, sort of recognizing that this thing that truly scared us or is supposed to be scaring us, uh, we have tried to dismantle by turning it into something really jolly so we don't have to reckon with the reality of what it's supposed to mean. And yeah. that was kind of something that I loved about, you know, Krampus and that I also loved about Rare Exports, which you recommended to me. And I love. Yes, yes. Yes, I heard your episode. Yeah, I heard your review of it. You loved it. That's so I'm incredibly so good. And yeah. I think that's something funny about Slashers, too, is that's probably why there is so much fandom around the killers is in a way we dismantle how scary they can be by making them this campy thing or this thing that you can put on t-shirts or wear yourself and play as right like funnily trying to turn something really scary into something funny i completely agree with you and i will recommend any listeners out there um that want to have a little bit of a spooky story on a cold winter's night um mm-hmm. go onto youtube and look up um the signalman uh bbc just type in the signalman bbc and you'll be able to watch the uh the Signalman adaptation uh, by Charles Dickens. And mm. it is one of those things that you watch and you just will not sleep easy. You just won't. It <laughs> gets it. under your skin. I watched it at school and I remember going home and having to sleep with the lights on for two nights. That's so that's good. How, that's how scared I was. Oh, but we're going to get through yeah. these ditties because we've got about 10 minutes, which is perfect amount of time to uh, talk about Halloween. Here we go. And here's me thinking Christina Aguilera was a candy man. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, bitch bit. Oh my god, love scream. I first watched Scream when I was little. It's good. Yeah, it's best. a great film. Absolute yeah. best. If you like Scream, if you go back onto our chats, Jess. Um, we did a chat about two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, about the mm-hmm. Scream franchise. Uh, just look for uh, be- uh, 90s slashes, and we did a whole show on it. It was really good. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Chucky was a gangster. Dewey Dimbula, give me the power I beg of you. He's freaking yeah. out. Like, oh, yeah, Andy? 
part three, they took the gangster to a whole other level. He was just thugging out throughout yeah. the whole ROTC. Like, dude, <laughs> Chucky was a fucking monster. All the way up to yeah. Bride of Chucky. That was great. After that, you know, it's like the Leprechaun series. It, you know, it drops off, but Chucky all day. It's so the true. Leprechaun you know, series. Oh, I love the Leprechaun, but I also just have to <laughs> agree, you know, like he has that similar reaction that all of us in America get to have to Chucky. Sort of like he is this playful, total nut job that just is a psycho doing crazy shit that looks really funny. And, you know, we yeah. get to have that, you know, because we have this different experience, which is just such a bummer because of how, oh, how ridiculous Chucky is and how enjoyable it is to just make fun of him even. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. No, trust me, you know, it, um, I think now more people are, are reevaluating those films and seeing them for the, the campy, like, horror films that they are. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely going to give them a go when we do our... Um, Child's Play uh, reviews. I'd love to. I'd love to watch them all and see uh, the full story. Uh, maybe get over a bit of a, a fear that I have of them. But we'll, yeah, we'll have each other. That. You know, we'll have each other. We'll have we'll each other. It together. It'll be good. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god, we were just talking about that today. We were talking about that um, about James Rogers today. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. Are you guys okay? Yeah, we're okay, Jess. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that that is exactly right. You know, it's just crazy how penetrative these things can be in our lives and how much horror mirrors the horrors of our lives in some, in bad ways. Not always in the yeah. best ways. No, I agree. But thank you very much, Jess. Yeah, we're good. Um I'm just going to hit the last ditty and then we're going to talk about Halloween. Have you guys been in the London dungeons? Not that scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, when yes. I come over the London... for Fright Fest, we'll do all the tours together. We'll go and oh, present all of these horrific historical events. <laughs> yeah, and the London dungeons, um, they take like some, like, basically horror legends from the UK and they turn mm -hmm. it into like an immersive. You know, like Sweeney Todd, Jack the Ripper, the Witch Ooh. Trials, you know, and all that sort of thing. So it's oh. really good. Okay, nice. last message. So out of these three slashers, who do you reckon you could beat? Ghostface from Scream, the Fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer, or the Hooded Bitch from Urban Legend? Go. Yikes. Beat? Yeah, who do you think you could win against? I don't think I could win against any of them. <laughs> yeah, that is such a hard question. Maybe, hmm, oh, fudge. I, I feel like I have to go urban legend because maybe I wouldn't be as scared because the legends are the main threat, I guess. Nope, I'd be too scared for all of it. Be just straight up trying to run away. <laughs> I always think that maybe the best way to get to like, outdo these killers is to get them into a house and turn the heating up it's mm -hmm. full blast because wearing that big coat is going to be really uncomfortable if it's really hot in that house oh, wearing you're, the so screen mask, you're so smart that is such a smart plan really, really slow oh, them down gosh. run I, them around a little while get them dehydrated i hope be that you know we're together should this happen because that is <laughs> such a smart idea 
And actually, that's kind of a good segue into H2O, which we want to talk about, because, you know, H2O is so much about Jamie Lee Curtis facing Michael and instead of running away from him, you know, which is, of course, where I went right away, like, just keep getting away. And she's like, I can't, I, you know, I have to fucking step up and confront it. Shani B, do you know what I thought you were going to say the, uh, the link was? What? That we're getting the killers to run around. They're getting dehydrated. They might need some water. Oh, talking of water, H2O. Let's talk about Halloween <laughs> H2O. <laughs> I love both of those. And that is just a testament <laughs> to how creative we both are here. Um, Absolutely. Having, having so many solutions going at once. Um, but you know, like I, I love H2O because to me, it perfectly creates the franchise model that the first two were trying to do like four five and six to me sort of represent their own trilogy, even though they're not all quite connected, they're all sort of trying to determine the evil factor. And so I let them sit, but you know, the first Mm -hmm. two were so much about trying to talk through the humanity factor and where that could exist in a person like this. And H2O really tries to go ahead and confront and wrap that up. And I just loved it so much, man. Like, she is so amazing and empowered in it. And, you know, trying to negotiate, like, being normal and having a son and figuring out how to not be so afraid. I just loved. I completely agree with you. And you watch it and there's so much of Scream. And I know what you did last summer in this movie. Do you know what I mean? Even the poster... Do you know what I mean? Of like all the characters. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, in that V shape, sort of doing yeah. the same kind of intimidating, get ready face. Yeah, and there's always that one character in the V shape poster that gets killed within the first five minutes. You're like, why did they earn their place on the poster? I don't understand. <laughs> so true, so true. The marketing, <laughs> like the writing through the marketing, was so unified. And we could probably yeah. say that, like, Scream, I Know You Did Last Summer, and H2O are really, like, the trifecta of Kevin Williamson's slashers of the time. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. while he wrote Absolutely. The Faculty, and that's definitely here, it isn't really a slasher. So it can't really fit with him wrapping up what he wants to do in these movies, which is sort of, you know, have this event happen to you, reckon with it on an anniversary of sorts, like trauma, and then confront it and resolve and accept, you know, your fate like h2o does it is a trilogy in another wow i've only just realized you saying that you know facing the trauma on an anniversary scream i know we did last summer halloween h2o just only just clicked in my mind He's the yeah. master. Like, I wish so hard that he was my dad. Like, you have no idea how much <laughs> I wish that I was just related to him because I love everything that he did. And he really is integral to how I see movies. You know, like, I loved them the way he did. And he gave me a wonderful pathway to unlocking them. And 90 slashers are the key to all of it. They're my fucking favorite. Yeah. Now, the story of Halloween H2O, I think, is genius in its uh, simplicity. I That's totally what I agree. really like about it. Yeah, I totally agree. That, you know, it sticks with the, the meat of what we're actually after here, which is the idea of, like, reckoning with this family trauma. 
And it's bringing that into the intergenerational patterns, like now with her having a son. And it is curious that <clears throat> in H2O, they choose to confront her having a son, as opposed to how in uh, Danny McBride's Halloween, she has a daughter and she's passing, you know, the feminine trauma in the new one. It's very interesting yeah. to actually tackle the male-female dynamic that she's been escaping her entire life and now must nurture. Like the trade is an amazing thing for them to, to go after. And man, if that wasn't totally worth it in terms of that, of wrapping up this trilogy. Oh no, I completely agree with you. And that whole scene of, um, you know, when he's saying to her, like, Michael Myers is dead. Stop it. I'm not responsible for you. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It, it, it shouldn't be me. It shouldn't be me, your son, who's having to be responsible for you. It should be the other way around. Yep. Yep. Like, really yeah. hitting the heart of what happens when you are passing trauma to someone. When you think you've got yeah. it all together and it's only about you, it is rippling. And that has an effect on people you love. And Danny yeah. McBride definitely didn't lose that, but he didn't choose to sort of tackle, you know, again, this idea that like when little girls are raised in families, their brothers are their protectors. And that is not the case for this woman. So having a brother as the first kid she pops out is kind of rough. Mm -hmm. And I love that Josh Hartnett wears that face and is like, I am aware of that. Like, please stop doing this. I love you. You know, like, just like yeah. in many ways, I think Jamie Lee Curtis confronts in the end of H2O when, you know, some part of her has to be thinking, please stop doing this. I love you. You're my brother. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like families no, are not so agree. easy to, to love in uncomplicated ways. Yeah. Now, I must, I can't talk about Halloween H2O without talking about Michael Myers' mask. Yes, it's a little bit. Yeah, oh, really? I mean, I think they CG. I think they CGI'd it a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, they definitely started to get a little too carried away with like grunging out the killers. But I think that that's something in H two O. It made a little bit more sense because it was a little bit more. It was slightly more authentic than they were gonna get. Uh, so in retrospect, I'm kind of like, eh, I guess I don't mind it there, like. It is 20 years later. They're just trying to keep it real here, even if they're cheesing it a little. Um, yeah. I find him to be, like, whoever is playing him in H2O really captures the same kind of energy from those original two, just in such an eerie way. And the same kind of, like, thing that was there between Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael originally was really able to connect in a way that I sadly don't think the Danny McBride one was able to do. Yeah, Krista, Chris Durand played him in H2O. He's more of a stuntman. He's, been, he's done stunts for films like Resident Evil, Armageddon, uh, Captain America. Yes. So he's a stunt guy. Um, Amazing. There is one scene in it where I think, I think it's, I think it's um, oh, I think, I can't remember the name of her character. Uh, Molly, Michelle Williams' mm -hmm. character, hits Michael mm -hmm. with a rock. And he turns around and he and through the mask, he's also got he's, he's got this like frowny, like, I'm going to get you look on his face. I always mm -hmm. found that. Like, how is he doing that through the mask? That's so good. I quite like it. Exactly. You can tell he's pissed like, off. 
yeah, he really does find a way to also engage with Jamie Lee Curtis on that same level of like, there is some pull here that we cannot quite make sense of, but only they know about it and they are operating through it. And I love yeah. that, you know, he, I think in a way that that scene kind of nails the like confusion of like, what is, who, who are these young people? Like she has a, a life and a family, you know, like recognizing that she is not who she was, even though he is still who he is. Yeah, and he's like, who are you guys? I'm going to kill you all. Yeah, who I want to kill... Oh, I've got one goal here. Yep, in many ways, he's sort of stuck in the same narrative, and what she's trying to do here is say, I'm not. I am leaving this narrative. Because he's just showing that. up again yep. and doing uh, young people that mirror my original murder, I kill. You know, like, yeah. he's stuck in that same cycle, and she is interrupting the cycle by standing. That's such a good uh, example and explanation of Michael Myers in this film. I love that. Um, the end. Do you wish it was the end? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have like to be every... honest. Yeah. So, so perfect because, you know, as Randy will say in Scream 3 when he's leaving the rules, is cut off their head or blow them up. You know, and that had to happen there, and it did. And it was so effective because she really has to, you know, how do you kill a snake? You have to cut off its head. Yeah. So I good. personally was wished that they actually had just ended it there. Don't get me wrong, I did enjoy the Halloween movie uh, the year before last. I thought it was, I thought it was a decent entry, mm-hmm. but um, I think I think H two O would have just been a perfect ending for the franchise. Well, and I really think that in many ways, if they had allowed sort of that franchise to exist and then lifted from the Busta Rhymes one that like really fell off a cliff where, you know, Michael had orchestrated a way to escape, which is how he remains alive. And she cut someone else's head off and that drove her pretty mad. That actually tracks with what Danny McBride is going for. This idea that she has sort of been driven mad with what's happened to her and what she's had to do. And maybe accidentally along the way, you know, had this daughter and now is passing that trauma again. Like, it really would have been in line. I have no idea why they were like, Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I hate Halloween Resurrection. Oh, it's terrible. It's fucking terrible. But it's not so bad when they try to show you, hey, here's how it might have actually been possible, guys. Because yeah. I love the idea that she would be so tormented by having to kill someone, you know, when she finally decided to take a stand. Like, if she had just run away, if she had just kept running away, maybe he wouldn't have died, whoever this guy is. Like, there yeah, was but nobody knows who he is. <laughs> right, there, there could have been some meat legit there, and they just were like, nah, yeah. let's trade it in for webcams, because they're really hot right now. Oh, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Absolute disaster. Total right, we've failure. got a ditty. We're going to hit it, it, and then it's time to say goodbye, guys. Uh, but don't worry, because if you look on our schedules, we're, we're back very, very soon. Here we go. Hello, of you on the. I think you might be a child. <laughs> yep, happened. It happened. <laughs> um, Shani B, um, thank you so much. Um, I've really, really loved uh, talking to you about 
slasher movies. Um, I grew up with them. They're a big part of my childhood in a way that that was how I sort of understood the horror genre to begin with. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, my favourite memories of being in Blockbuster Video and uh, choosing from a shelf of, you know, amazing movies. And I'm so glad that I've been able to speak about them with you today. It's been amazing. Oh, absolutely. I feel like there is still so much more for us to continue to delve in, just being so in line with understanding and enjoying these movies. And I just, it was such a pleasure to talk with you about this as well. And I am looking forward to talking so much more with you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. Because, you know, like you said, that's the thing about stereo, isn't it? You know, you have a pa you're passionate about a subject and you come on something like this and there's people on here that are also passionate about it. But when you actually find someone who is so passionate that they get into those nitty gritty, you know, details, it's very rare. And I, and I feel blessed to have found someone that is uh, willing to go there with me. Uh, same. Like you, I also appreciate just how well-spoken you are and considerate you are, you know, in addition to just being a fan of horror. Like I really enjoy <laughs> talking with you energy wise, you know, just not, sort of matching me and meeting me in terms of the passion level. And I just appreciate that so much. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it too. Right, I will let you get on. Um, you take care and I'll send you an Instagram message because we've got another show coming up. Um, I was going to send you maybe some ideas of, of uh, things that we could watch and maybe we can share some um, share some movies to, to re-watch before we do the next podcast. Absolutely. Deal on a stick. I will see you Yay! soon. Have a lovely, lovely evening. And I'll you talk too. to you soon. Will do. Right. Take care. All Have right. a good evening. Bye. Bye.